It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest was born in Africa, Morocco to be exact. When he reached out to me and I learned he is a millennial, news about him kept getting better and better. His name is Ryan Anderson, and he was brought up in Scotland, where he currently lives. It was 10 a.m. in the U.S., where I am, and 4 p.m. for him in Edinburgh. He is the second adoptee on this podcast from the U.K., You might recall Julie Weatherby from episode 66 residing there, too. I have to record via Zoom because of the distance between us. And I apologize in advance for any feedback noise you hear at times during this recording due to the technology on my end. Ryan is a self-described recovering party animal. He has traveled to more places than I can count off the top of my head. He is a late Discovery adoptee who felt shame behind that news for 12 years. But once he began accepting that his lifestyle was taking a toll on his mental health, he moved in the direction of taking the necessary steps to start the process of healing himself. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is charismatic, inquisitive, intelligent, handsome, and most importantly, interested in checking in on his well-being He is helping other adoptees navigate their journey by sharing his. Ryan, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I actually get to look at your face because we're on Zoom. So that's always nice. How are you doing today? Doing good. Got a smile on my face. Yeah, you do. Scotland, so uh, ready to go. Yeah, you're all the way in Scotland. So it's like 10 a.m., here in the U.S., and it's like 4 p.m. there, right? Something like that? Uh, where I had to get. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you reached out to me, um, and we finally made it happen through emails to meet one another. And I've had a chance to, to talk with you a little bit about your, your story, your adoption journey. I watched your YouTube video. I think it's called Me Opening Up, My Life Story, right? Yeah, just put it all out there. I really loved it. I know it's like 15 minutes or 14 something, close to 15 minutes long. And I'm like, he he wrapped it up pretty good. You went, you covered a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it it took me a lot of takes and put a lot of work into it. But it was something I really wanted to do. So I'm happy with with the result. I'm glad you did it. And I'll put it in the show notes. I encourage everybody to check it out. And I got a chance to listen to your episode with Heidi Marble, the host of Pulled by the Root. That was such yeah. a good episode. Yeah, she she came over to Edinburgh for a holiday and uh, we met up and I showed her around the city. That was, was nice. Uh, nice. I love meeting new people and I love traveling as well and going to outside my comfort zone. So... That's what it's all about for me. I was listening to a podcast this morning and I thought about you. And the episode was about how people can influence other people positively. We all have the opportunity throughout the day when we meet people to do just that. And it starts with, I guess, realizing that we have that power and then taking advantage of it. And just the little time I've known you and and learned about your story, I feel like you really have done that in many ways. So I think we can start with you sharing a part of your journey from wherever you want to start. Yeah, well, I think um, the best starting from the start, really. (laughs) I was adopted from, I'm I'm what's known as a foundling in adoption terms, an orphan. So um, 
think I was found on the street in Morocco, and um, there was no information of any of my biological family. Um, I don't know, you know if I was born in the hospital, who handed me in. I don't know any information about my birth family, if they're still alive, why I was abandoned. And just to put things in perspective, there were about 25 babies a day back in my time getting put up for adoption. This could be because of poor poverty or um, yeah, my I could have been... My mother could have had a divorce. Uh, sorry, I uh, yeah, could have... Uh, cheated on our, our partner um, or been a single mother and that's frowned upon uh, in Morocco and if she did uh, cheat on her partner they can get in trouble from that from the authorities so she might have just been looking after her own safety and then there's also stuff where I fantasise that I could have been a prince and been adopted in a special circumstance um, but yeah religion's a big thing in Morocco um, I remember they speak um, Arabic, so um, that's their language. So yeah, um, my adopted parents, my adopted dad's Moroccan, my adopted mum's English, they were living in Morocco. My mum's seen all the children who are um, orphans and she was really upset that she wanted to adopt. She convinced my dad and they had to go through a lengthy process to adopt pay money, go to meetings, yeah, yeah, just a lot of back and forth, yeah. Um, my dad said, we're not getting a girl, she'll run away from home, we'll pick a boy for the first baby we pick. And the first baby my mum picked, uh, when she went to the hospital, was a girl, uh, she just put her down, next in line was me. Some days I feel really lucky, she picked me. And other days you feel like, why did she pick me? And I feel guilty. She adopted me and brought me to Scotland. So that's where I'm like a transracial and transnational. So Morocco to Scotland and it's transracial as my mum's white and I'm um, and colour of skin. And um, my dad's also Moroccan, so he's the same colour of skin. And I was always jealous that, so my, my parents had uh, two biological children, a boy and a girl, and they are 15 years older than me. And they were born in Britain, but they were white. And I was just like, why was I black and they were white? And growing up in a neighbourhood in Edinburgh, everyone was white. Yeah, some black people, but I was a bit ashamed of that. And if you fast forward till age 18, that's when I was told I was adopted. So let me um, let me just ask you this. I'm sorry for interrupting you. When you look different from your family, what? And no, my dad. I, you look like your so dad, right? Yeah. But you yeah. didn't look so like your siblings, right? Not really, but not. Not enough to question it. Yeah, I, I feel silly now why I didn't question it, but yeah, it looked. Not a million miles off. They they don't really look at, like each other either. Okay. So it's not as if to say like an identity crisis where I was I was completely not white because I could just relate to my dad as being the same color as me. My adopted dad. So there was never a conversation like, "Why do I look different?" Like that never happened before the age of eighteen. And it happened in my head, but not okay. in real life. And I always knew there was something odd about me. I was just ashamed growing up, really, just because my parents had a different accent, not like a Scottish accent. Um, they didn't have much money. Uh, they were a different religion to, obviously, pe- people in Britain who are m- more Christian. Yeah, I was just not, not the best jobs, best well-dressed. So I felt ashamed. And then... When um, age 18, that's when I found out I was adopted, and that added more shame to it. How did you find out? Um, my brother, adopted brother, uh, kept hinting to me to say I need to have a conversation with my mum, and then 
Um, my mum and dad also got divorced. So all the little small things that have happened, like being ashamed and stuff like that, this could all like have been a build-up to why, when I found out from one by a letter, it broke me. And then that could be the reason why I kept that a secret for the next 12 years. 12 uh, years? It's a long yeah, time. It's, it's been embarrassing that all my life I tried to fit in and then I was standing out for the worst ways. Being adopted was the nail in the coffin. Even things like I had an Arabic name and also had a nickname. And at age 19, I changed my name. So these are all signs of me being ashamed, running away, trying to have a different identity. Crazy thing is, when I'm getting older, you're actually proud to be in where you're from. And you like having, like being darker skin and you like, I like being different. But when I was younger, all you wanted to do was fit in. Fit in, yeah. 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 So, uh, we always want to fit in when we're teenagers. So there was something you said in the episode with Heidi that stuck with me. It's, it, it was, you said, I'm a likable character. <laughs> I <to me. laughs> And I thought, I like that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You, you seem very charismatic. And you're like my son's age. He, well, you were born the same year. He was born in 1990. And so I'm always excited to talk to the younger generation about their perspective on their lived experience and just making contributions to the community. So you were 30 when you decided that you're not going to live in the shame of or the secrecy of being an adopted person. What are some of the first things you did? From the age of 18 to 30, I got involved with the pubs, go clubbing, enjoying myself. Yeah, I was having fun. I think I tried to drink alcohol and drugs before my adoption. So it wasn't as if I went to adoption because I went to uh, uh, drugs and alcohol because I was adopted. It was just, it was there, it was around. I didn't have a care in the world. Got a flat, got a job, stood on my own two feet, and then got involved in holidays, uh, which were all distractions. But really, I was bottling everything up. I was suffering, uh, suffering in silence. Yeah, I got go uh, travel the world. It was good. I was uh, went tight. Used to live in Spain, and it was when COVID happened. That's when I decided to stop drinking drugs for a year and get some help about my adoption because carrying that secret got too much, and I was also suicidal quite a lot. When COVID happened and all the flights stopped, I couldn't travel anywhere or party anywhere. That's when I started to face my fears, get myself better. So it kind of um, slowed you down, the um, pandemic. I don't say to myself, I'm, I'm not going to go to Ibiza anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to do stop drinking drugs just for one year. And then when COVID happened, I treated that as a sign. To, to not do it. A lot of friends have died from mental health, and committing suicide, and even just in general death. Uh, that makes you think, or even when someone gets ill. Like what you said before, I'm uh, trying to be a positive, I'm quite a positive person. Everyone thought I had an amazing life. With all these people that, all these tragedies that happen, men don't really speak up, especially young men. So I was trying to make that difference. I just felt like mental health was is a big thing. I need to. St- I, I'm still not 100. Uh, percent I've actually been had been okay the last three weeks, but during this adoption journey I'm going on, I've had highs and lows, really low lows, and I think to myself, I've done this video, helped lots of people. Why am I getting really low again? And it's just, it's, it's kind of made me a bit fragile. But at the same time, when you deal with your mental health, you've got to go through these ups and downs. And right now I feel good. Yeah, 
just feel like um, I want. I'm ready to to try and help people make a difference because that makes me feel good as well. Yeah, mental health is a pretty big subject, and I'm glad you're feeling well now. And I know it's hard when we don't feel our best. Yeah, it's hard. And at the same time, we have, I say, tools in our toolbox that we know we can go to. And I know you list, you like lists. I like lists too. <laughs> and you list things that that have worked for you, things that I guess we all have to overcome as best we can, or, or I guess manage. I like that word. We have to manage when we're not at our best. Would you say that? problem with me is loneliness and I live alone and I've lived alone for the last 13 years on my down days I'm alone and maybe I'm quite stubborn as well so I don't accept help the only person I confide in is my adopted mum my adopted mum's in England so she can't she can't do much from over the phone she's elderly as well yeah when, when I get low and just maybe like others it's You've just got your own mind you're dealing with when we need to try and speak nice to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But it's very hard. Um, and you also need to listen. The way I word it is like, I'm trying to reach out to adoptees uh, or, or people with mental health. Adoptees is my main focus. And I kind of look at us like a jigsaw. And I look at people like... They're auto- people are automatically happier than me because they have a biological-related family, and I don't. The fact that uh, you're biological-related, you're happier than me, your blood means everything, that, st- that sticks with me. But it's wrong as well because family is what you make it. My adopted family are great, not perfect, but uh, no one is. And I've got friends as well. And just on the dark days, you're just thinking so much. Yeah, just I've not had them in a long time and hopefully they're a thing of the past. And if it does come back better mentally, I'm quick to deal with it. Just by me admitting that I have them, other people might can help reach out. And then it feels good when someone's low and you talk them round. Yeah. Um, there's always someone out there needing help. But at the same time, you can't burn yourself out because sometimes I burn myself out helping too many people and then I, then I crash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think helping people is a gift that we give. Um, at the same time, we know we have to still take care of ourselves. Yeah, self-care is is very important to even be able to help another person. When I heard that you were born in Morocco, I like got so excited because Morocco has been on my list for a long time, for probably 10 years. Yeah, 10 years, because I went to Turkey in 2012. And the group I went with was so excited about another trip coming up, which was Morocco. And I was unable to go at that time, but I, I, it's always been like at the top of my list. So when I learned you were born there and your father is Moroccan, your adoptive dad, yes. So were you able to kind of learn through him the culture? A little bit, yeah. So up to the age of 10, I think I'd visit Morocco a fair few times. And my memories were, and I started learning about Arabic, which I still remember now. Uh, just like count to ten, how are you? <laughs> Shut the door. I'm Ali Kourn, that's how you greet people. When I was in Morocco, I can wing it with the words, but uh, I wish, I wish, wish I, I did learn other languages. There's still time. Yeah. But, but up to the age of ten, I just remembered all the food. Uh, they've got this thing called Moroccan tea. Uh, they pour it from quite a distance. And it's delicious. Yogurt drink, the bread. Um, sitting around the table, eating with your hands, when you're on your knees, around, around one of these uh, Moroccan jars uh, with a food called tagine and couscous. 
Uh, so they're all the memories I had. Yeah. And then when I became a teenager, I started to hate Morocco and didn't like like, people saying, when you go to Morocco, that's where you're from. And I'm like, no, I'm from Scotland. So I was, I'm torn. I'm born in Morocco. And in Morocco, I stand out. And grew up in Scotland. In Morocco, I look like a typical Scottish person. Right. So there's a little identity crisis. And so my story was I done, um, I came up to, I think it was March 2020. That's when I phoned the doctor. And I had a half an hour or an hour chat with the doctor and opened up about my adoption and telling them how much this played on my mind. A therapist? Therapist. No, a doctor. Okay. So like a medical doctor. Yeah, a medical doctor. That was step one. Step two, I opened up to a therapist, which I paid for, because back in COVID, when I decided to to get myself better, Quite a lot of services were strained because if you remember what COVID was like at the start, it was all over the place. Lots of places were closed. So I was constantly facing an uphill battle to get help when it took me this long to get help. So yeah, I spoke to the doctor, spoke to the therapist, and every time I spoke to one person like that, it made me feel better. And I also opened up on a a thing called Reddit. I don't know if you've heard it before. I have, So that's, I was really ashamed. So when I was opening up, I was promising people not to tell anyone. So when I opened up on Reddit, I didn't have to put my name. And then I would slowly start getting brave. And then I would open, go into Facebook groups. uh, But I'd never speak in them. And then go into a support group. And that was once a month. And, the, and I also had a support worker for a month as well and other therapists. I could see myself gradually getting better. And this is while I was off the drinking drugs and I was doing lots of self-help stuff, setting goals, going running, running in the sea, taking CBD oil. I was trying yoga, meditating. I was trying everything. Because right. I'm usually just at the pub taking drink or drugs and have, having fun that way. So I was trying to find my new fun. Right. Uh, I'm glad you shared that. I know that's being very vulnerable. Yeah, I was hill walking, just stuff like that. And then came to February, that's when I started speaking in the groups. And being more confident speaking in the the Zoom chat. If you start off, I was in one group. And now I'm in about 10 Zoom groups. (laughs) So that's the progress I've made in two years. Two years. That's remarkable. (laughs) Facebook groups, a handful of Facebook groups, and now I'm at 70. Kind of Seven zero? Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are in Morocco. I'm glad you... I'm obviously so, in a list. I'm so glad you're sharing that because I think that it is a process. But see, see this adoption community, I, I never knew any of this existed. So I went out, I went out and I'm asking every adoptee I know, what Zoom groups are you in? Uh, what podcasts do you know? I'm like gathering all this information. So if anyone ever uh, wanted that info, I could share it. Or once I'm ready, I could post it myself. So then it's just there for someone if they ever need it. I tried counselling in 2019 and I just walked out because I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. So I do understand when people aren't ready. Right. Because I was ready to take my adoption to the grave with me. Mm. Uh, that's what led me to releasing my YouTube video, my written story, which is in more detail. See, we're adoptees. We're kind of like, we're over-explainers. So I just put everything into that. Yeah, quite a lot of people in Edinburgh respect me for that, talking about mental health and said it's helped them. Yeah. Can you but, point to anyone in particular that helped you to get more confident and decide that you weren't going to take being an adoptee to the grave? Uh, no, it was just uh, it was just a mixture of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just feels like everything was aligned. COVID happened, stopped drinking drugs. Because I like to be a man of my word. Probably one of my biggest achievements uh, doing that video. When I first released that video, uh, I was re- extremely vulnerable. Everyone quite, got quite a lot of shocked reactions. Um, I did tell my friends face to face, 
and they were shocked. And before I released the video and showed all my adopted family and everyone was supportive, but I was just thinking there was going to be some negative coming from it. And over the years, I think I, has, I have heard some people say some negative stuff, but it's not really affected me much. And uh, I'm happy that um, I was able to speak up. But then by me doing that, I've now attracted a lot of people with their issues. And it's that part again where I help others, but sometimes get dragged down myself on top of when I've got my own issues going on. I'm here now and I'm fighting fit, so it's all good. It's all good. I, I would always want to go to Morocco. First of all was get my story done. So I was always setting goals. So getting my story done, got that released. And then I was quite overwhelmed. And that took a few, uh, that lasted a few months. So story was in August. Um, Morocco. In October, I emailed the embassy. And it took them seven months to get back to me. So that's like for other, as a, a warning to other people who reach out to the embassy, how long it can take uh, because their services are that busy. And if you put yourself in my shoes, I was really scared to go to Morocco because different language, different culture, drawing a lot of professional advice. And it's, that takes seven months. And I've got to remember, I've, I've waited all year for this. I'm impatient. I want to get over there and try and find get answers. This is 2021, uh, right? This is October 2021. I never got an answer until April. There was also problems with flying. I um, don't know if you remember, uh, countries were on the, ba the ban list and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I was kind of just like riding it out and waiting for a flying, trying to get myself really ready. But as I worded it, every day I was not there. It was a day to prepare. But every day I was not there, it was a day less to find my family. Right. I eventually got my adopted brother to come with me. And we made the trip over there. Uh, we visited the hospital that looked after me. A lot of waiting games. They then sent me somewhere else. And they actually sent me to five other places. Um, I seen a book with my name in it, which kind of made me feel like I existed. And I seen another bit of information. The last place sent me back to the hospital. So I went back to the hospital and then they says, oh, um, the person who does the archives, um, they're on holiday at the moment. They're back Monday, and I was leaving Sunday. Mm. I thought to myself, I was like, why did they not tell me that right. when I first arrived yesterday? Uh, but they kind of, they're not very quick in Morocco. So I left uh, my details with a foster family, looked at, because when, from the ages of three months to six months, my parents couldn't bring me to Scotland because of lack of funds, uh, other stuff. So they had to come to Scotland and come back over. So they had me from up to three months. I think, yeah, I think it was about three months old. She had me for a month and they had to leave me and come back. So I was I was stayed with this foster family. When I went to Morocco, they all remembered me. And they were all, like, calling me brother, feeding me and treating me like family. And they remembered me just for the, that three months I was in their life. I was quite... It was quite a nice feeling. I bet. Uh, and they did they know your biological family? No. No names or anything? When I went to over there, no, nothing. When I went over there, what I found out is my foster mother, she went to the hospital with me and started asking the policemen and asking everyone what had gone on. And that's where I found out the information that I was found on the street really, uh, really ill. Okay. Like skin and bones oh wow i'm sorry see these small bits of information right they mean a lot, they mean a lot to me sure it does but, but at the same time it's still not an answer so this is a part of the adoption which a lot of adoptees go through is it's a stop start process we get little bits of information then nothing for a while little bits and nothing for a while and that's like how i emailed the embassy after wait seven months that's the kind of stuff I'm dealing with. And I, ask, I reach out for other people for help. And people, and most people say, sorry, Ryan, 
your story is a bit too complicated. I can't help. Try this person. And you'll get round and round in a circle. Mm-hmm. Some people just like give up. And I only work part time. Sometimes I feel like my adoption is taking over my life. Mm. And uh, this, this search, and it's lost me a relationship, it lost me some friendships. Some people don't agree with it, and that's their opinion. Part they agree with them. I'm searching for a family that won't speak my language, might not want me. Uh, why am I searching? But mm. something within me wants to search. So there's a lot of confused feelings going on there. But yeah, back to Morocco. I got on TV in Morocco, only for a minute on each channel from two of the biggest companies, with like three million followers. Wow. And, what did you uh, say? I just said, I'm Ryan, I come from the UK. I can give you the clips. And I was just like, I'm searching for my family. If anyone can help me, please get in touch with one of these dates. Right. Uh, some people did phone up. As far as I know, I didn't have any leads. And remember, I need a translator for all this. Right. So, luckily, I knew someone who knew someone, even just met someone on Facebook and then became friends with them. Or, like, a, lady, a girl I got on Facebook says, Oh, I've got a friend over there. And he's now turned into my friend. Wow. When, when before I was scared to go to Morocco in case I got robbed. Right. And, and then this guy is now one of my friends. I was on the back of his motorbike. And he took me to loads of fun stuff in Morocco. And uh, that was in Marrakesh. Uh, in Marrakesh, I met more of a foster family. Yeah, it was, a, it was a quick five days in Morocco. But from my first visit, I was really happy with what I've got done. Mm. And when I came back, I got on TV over there. I was still in the hope something would happen. But nothing happened. And then I asked the girl, before my foster sister, to look at, check my records. And then the hospital started asking for money, being really unhelpful as soon as I left. So it's kind of like, I need to do it. I can't leave it for someone else to do it for me. Right. And so I'm going to go over for like a round two and see how I go on. And I know you've done Ancestry. I I have too, but you've done more than that, right? Ancestry, 23 of me, family, DNA. And what are the other ones? Genealogy, my living DNA, my heritage, Shedcom. Wow. DNA. You mean business. <laughs> I had a guest on uh, Lynn Grubb. And, uh, Lynn look, Grubb said that's the way to go. Because. Yeah. Well, that's my attitude. I'm just going to cover every angle and at least I know right. if I have to like my best. That's smart. And, all the, I've got a fourth cousin, that's my highest match on Ancestry in 23 and me. I see all my matches, 90% of them have been extremely helpful. One man, um, his name is Larby, he's, he, he calls me like family. He's he's great. He, he's my translator over there. So I can just phone him up anytime. Well, Larby, what are they saying? <laughs> can you translate for me? And he's, he's taking time out of his day. He's a stranger who lives in America, in New York. He's sitting. Look at your smiling. Yeah, your smile. I wish everybody could see your smile. I clearly understand. He's done a lot for you. Yeah, that's great. Remember, this guy's just a stranger over the internet. Right. Now he's he's not become a stranger. He's become like family. I can stay with him and stuff like that. It's very welcoming. So I will return the favor. Well, I, you know, what I really enjoy about your generation is you just don't let grass grow under your feet. You know what I mean? You you keep it moving. You keep things going and doing what you need to do next. And, and though you didn't just be public right away, you clearly were moving in that direction to where you are now. Like you were doing the steps and getting closer to being public like like you are. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what kind of everything's just fallen into place. I wasn't ever this confident person to speak on camera. Uh, I was never this confident person to do lots of podcasts. I feel myself getting better and better. Yeah, uh, nobody would know you weren't because you, <laughs> you, 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 you seem like a natural. I don't feel I've given 100% 
to all my podcasts, either because I've not felt good in the day, or I've said I feel like I should have said something better, or I've stuttered, or I've got tongue tied, or too many awkward pauses, and I'm just like, like my, my when my video, my video took me about twenty takes, and there's still a few mistakes in it, but it's okay. My motto is, yeah, my motto is none of us are perfect. Right. And I'm just winging it. Yeah, me too. Like we're all imperfections you know we we just are as people as human beings but i think that just being in the game is better than being in the stands you know like it really is better to be in the arena i always think of football fans they get all mad at the players but then those athletes train and and they they have um proven themselves worthy to be in the game so whether they lose that day or not they're the game. <laughs> What I was trying to explain to people was that was my journey. I was a really shy person, not, maybe not so shy, but right, reserved and ashamed. And it took me a lot. To, as I said, my stages, I opened up to the doctor, it took me a lot to get to where I am, where I can be like, I can speak to anyone down the street about my story, to my best friend. Isn't that a and, beautiful place um, to be in? Yeah. And I still something I do get nervous and, Obviously, I think this is my eighth podcast. So, wow. Um, I think uh, that's great. Doing this makes me feel like I'm making a difference. I'm yeah. doing something. Well, you know um, what I always say here lately is that I have no way of knowing who needs to hear your story. You know? Yeah. yeah. What else I get is people say to me face to face, I listened to your podcast. That was great. But like some people don't message. Like what you said, I don't know who's listening. I don't like to sound all negative all the time, but I have been through a lot of bad mental health days. But I'm always putting a spin on it to be like, this is what I'm doing about it. I'm trying to make a difference and uh, I'm trying to live a good life. Yeah, I'm trying to find happiness. And it's all about trying. And me doing these podcasts, they could make a difference, they might not, but at least I'm trying. Yeah. And is there any, there's not been any harm done, has there? No, <laughs> um, right. I'm just so glad you, you are speaking up. And I really appreciate you sharing the fact that in the beginning you were silent. You were just listening. You know, you were just kind of taking it in. And next thing you know, you go to the next step and the next step, you know. Yeah, I think and that's wonderful. So... I guess as we wrap it up, what's been the most rewarding thing about being connected to the adoption community or better connected? Uh, You feel like you've got a family there, also meeting new people. Some of the uh, conversations adoptees have is uh, quite interesting and um, we kind of help one another. So uh, having that community there, it's like a whole new world. Adoptees, I think we're only like 5% of the population, maximum. If you think of that, that's not that's not many. We're quite a minority. We all kind of like need to stick together and we all need support. It's good that strangers out there care. That's what I've learned because lots of adoptees have been so supportive to me in my journey. Same here. I, I know if I need them, they're there for me. One adoptee, I was bursting into tears when I was having a breakdown. Yeah, I was just crying, and I've never, I've only, during that breakdown, a few of my friends seen me cry, and she phoned me and seen me cry. She just kind of calmed me down a bit. That was very nice of her. I mean, Fiona. Yeah. Um, I said a thank you for her last week. She really helped me when I was at a low point. I think that was a month or two ago. Even non-adopted people will have breakdowns and stuff like that. So about how you how you bounce back. It's all about the bounce back, and then how you deal with it, deal with another low point in your life if you can manage it well. What's been the yeah, most like, challenging? Sorry, <laughs> most challenging is dealing with your low points. So say when you're getting doing all this self help stuff, my mental health. I have a bad mental health day. All my good work just seems to get chucked. Mm. Uh, everything uh, you just feel like you're at square one again 
Yeah, I have felt suicidal a few times over the last six months. Mm. So why, why am I feeling like that? I've came so far. Right, right. And you just you feel like a burden and stuff, etc. Because mm-hmm. uh, life is hard. Then some friends don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Our family living alone is tough. Mm-hmm. So the challenging moments. And then, yeah, sometimes even like the adoptee community can't help me out of it because <laughs> I feel alone in the adoptee community because my story's that real. Right. I'm glad you shared that. And... It's, all, it's all about the mindset. Because, yeah, because see... Some of the Zooms I go to, I can go to a Zoom and just feel like I'm a complete waste of time. And then I can go to a Zoom and feel like that's helped me 100%. And it's all about my mindset. So it's all about yeah, how I'm feeling on that day. But my attitude is, oh, you've got to try. Just like medication, people could, if you don't take meds, you never know if they're going to help you or not, um, unless you try. Or if it's not meds, it can be therapy. Because we all do it, I think. We all say, well, I'm going to do something. And we don't do it straight away. We prolong it, like what I did with saying, I'm going to stay off the drinking drugs. I'm going to go and get therapy. Said that for years and years and years. And never done it. And one day you do do it. Kind of wish you'd done it earlier, but you need to have that build up because it's scary. <laughs> right. Well, I know Adoptee Remembrance Day is October 30th. Uh, we have National Adoption Week, and it's actually different in Scotland and England in the UK. I think England's. I think is that England's in November? Day. Because that's something that is uh, recognized in the U.S. Uh, Adoption Awareness Month, national. Yeah, we do. It. Yeah, I think it's different in the UK and UK and America. We have it as a week. I think it's the second week in November for Scotland, but it's the twenty-first, the weekend in the twenty-first of October in England. So. It's kind of spaced out, but they do they do do something, and it's uh, it's quite, I've been before over Zoom. It's quite interesting. It's a get together. Uh, I like to call people big players. So to me, you're a big player uh, in the adoptee world because you're doing your po- podcasts. Oh, and... Ryan, thank you. That means a lot coming from a 32 year old. <laughs> Scotsman. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so there's other big players, people who are authors or big players from different organisations. They all get together in Zoom and create a conference or a kind of a kind of ch- a chat. And like, like I said, some conversations that happen there are very interesting. That sounds great. People do come away from the day feeling better. Right. And learn something. And, and it's all about networking. I went to my first conference face to face in Wales, uh, sorry, in Bristol in England. I met loads of adoptee parents, adoptees. When did you do that? Saturday. Like so last the, Saturday? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. How many people? That sounds like it was a nice group. This was about 40 people. Yeah, nice. So uh, networking, really meeting people. Right. I'm glad you got uh, to love- do that because it's something about in person. That's real yeah. special. Technology these days, everything's over the yeah. over the gadgets. But National Adoption Week is coming up soon, and Adoption Month in your case, and I can get for adoptees' voices. Yeah. So this remembrance, this adoptee remembrance day, is for for us to just allow time to recognize the adoptees that lost their lives who aren't with us because of um, tragedy, suicide. And so I think it's about three years old, right, that it's been going on, I'm not sure, but October 30th. And it's like having a moment of silence that day for all the adoptees. You know, it's kind of sad. 
and at the same time it's it's recognizing that we are all in this together even those that are no longer with us you know we we stand in the gap yeah we're fighters because if you think about adoption people think it's all great but if you think about it deeply we were adopted from tragic circumstance right and we're taken away from our families culture people always say you know cats and dogs if they have uh, any animals if they have babies you don't take them away from the mum straight away but with adoption the humans it's fine right people don't really understand that they don't understand uh, that there's great loss yeah there's there's tremendous loss yeah and don't get me wrong i don't you need you need to find the stats but how many people have had great adoptions and still had mental health problems? How many people have had great adoptions and had no mental health problems? How many people have had not great adoptions and suffered? And I know from meeting lots of adoptees, of all the people who have suffered, basically us adoptees are screaming uh, because we want something to be done about it. There is people out there who need help. Absolutely. Have you watched that video by Paul Sunderland? Yeah. Isn't that a powerful video that we're overrepresented in addiction? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people, even uh, even like in the UK, some people are not aware of adoption trauma. Right. People are slowly trying to learn about it. Slowly but surely, right? Everybody should be required in the field of medicine to watch Paul Sunderland's YouTube video. Adoption and addiction, yeah. Well, I want to honor your time. And is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish to share? Like, it's been great looking at your face. Like, while you talk, I don't get to do this very often. So this is so cool. I actually set an alarm just to wake up. <laughs> I was at the gym and I was like, I'll go, I'll go for a little nap. And then I heard my alarm going off. Not very professional, but... Oh, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Hope I've been good. Oh, and, you have. Uh, what do you want to leave the guests with? Yeah, in closing. I just want to just help all adoptees, help people with mental health, tell people what stuff's out there like podcasts the books videos like the paul sunderland no one's going to know about these unless we tell them that's right and i just keep doing this kind of stuff uh winging it hoping something good comes of it hoping people watch my video find it powerful it was worthwhile and just encourage people to speak up yeah and put myself in uncomfortable situations to test myself I want this to try and be healing for me as well. If anyone ever wanted to reach out, I would. I love connecting with people. And I'm also trying to live a balanced life by not getting sucked up into the adoption world and also living my own life and trying to enjoy life. That's the main thing. Yeah. <laughs> if any, I remember being a closed book and now I'm... Uh, can't shut me up sometimes. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun and informative and enjoyable. And thank you. And thank you. You keep up the good work. It's just something I was going to add that when I'm really low, uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, that's another reason why I go low. I pressure on myself either taking on people's problems or... Uh, yeah, just get things getting too much, too much negativity or too much. Uh, so it could be something bad that's happened that's out of my control. And when I go down low from having from being too hard on myself, and I feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah, it's it's so hard to get myself back up. But I've always I've always got to remember that when I am I'm low, a small goal to even just get myself out of my bed get something to eat um, because I, I, just, I just lie there and don't eat um, which is not not good so um, 
when if you ever have days like that, just write them out. Set yourself a small goal because that's has that domino effect. Take you back into reality and back into way of life. When I crash, it's something just as small as going for a walk, which gets me back socializing and back and back feeling myself. That was good. Thank you, Ryan. I had so much fun on Zoom with Ryan and at times felt the sadness of his struggle with loneliness. I was reminded of Adoptee Remembrance Day last month on October 30th and the many adoptees who died tragic deaths related to the depression around their trauma. During the last two years, Ryan has accomplished so much for himself and is more than willing to share with others what he has learned. I particularly appreciated his vulnerability and transparency throughout our time together. Ryan's three-step method of first confiding in a medical doctor about the traumas he has suffered, then a therapist, and finally reaching out to the adoption community seems like one of the many winning formulas. I enjoyed how, in wrapping things up, he shared that small goals is a good place to start during those dark days that have a way of sneaking into our life. He makes it clear that it is a process to healing from the truth about our beginnings, and some days will be better than others. He inspires me to remember that while I may never arrive at a destination of complete healing, I can keep trying, keep winging it. Thank you, Ryan, for having this conversation with me. It was a delight to see your smile, hear your laughter, hold space for the serious subject of depression, and how you have been able to manage it one day at a time. I'm excited to have met you, and there is not a doubt in my mind that you have already encouraged another adoptee to seek the help that they may need to improve the quality of their life sooner rather than later. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit jenniferdianegoston.com. Thank you for being here, and please check out my website for other episodes. Once upon a time in adopteeland.com.